So, greetings and welcome back to Hacked Off, the Sakarma podcast. I'm joined here today in our luxurious Sakarma boardroom by Gordon, who's one of our senior consultants. Uh, we're going to have a chat about his career and his path into cyber, what he does on a day-to-day basis, and um, we'll see where the conversation takes us, as always. So, hello, Gordon, and thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, no worries. Happy to be here. Happy to be bullied into it. Happy to be bullied into it. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> so, first of all, tell me just a little bit about yourself and what your day-to-day work is like, and then we're going to go back in time and talk about how you got into this weird business that we're in. Yep, so my day-to-day run-the-mill business is penetration testing. So that can change depending on what a client wants. So it can go from anything from a web application um, right through to um, infrastructure, looking at actual internal networks and and how they're affected. Um, And we can even do kind of red teaming and social engineering, so phishing attacks, um, device drops into car parks and... Um, looking around, trying to break in, entering into a campus and lockpick a vault. It can range from all sorts of things. Yes, that's always a classic one, isn't it? Drop a USB drive into a car park. My favourite is sticking a sticker that says payroll on it because you can guarantee someone's going to pick it up and have a look at the payroll before they give it back to the IT department. Yeah, CVs also work. And CVs work. And any, any document title that um, picks up a person's interest. Um, even pictures, if you can put in cat pictures or a picture of someone, Tinder profile, anything you can think of that will pique someone's interest that's going to make them open that file is a, is a good place to start. We win, they lose. Okay, so, I mean, as I've said on the show before, cybersecurity is a, it's a young industry. You know, it's 15, 20 at the most years old. And I still think we both feel that it's finding its way and it's finding its shape. And if that's why these conversations are valuable. Everyone's story is unique. Yeah. So, you know, take me back in time. Tell me about little Gordon and how little Gordon ended up being a hacker. You so, bad man, you. Yeah, little Gordon. Um, probably started in secondary school. I mean, before school, I was always on playing my dad's computer. I remember playing uh, Command and Conquer, setting up peer-to-peer networks. Um, Command and Conquer Red Alert. Yeah, well, that's the best one. Dark Forces as well. The old yeah. Star Wars and Stormtrooper. Oh, Command and Conquer Generals, wasn't it? That, well, that was, was yeah. That, that was big. Yeah, that Tiberian game. Sun was number three or something like that. It's uh, all fun, but yeah. So online gaming. Uh, I mean, this is way back before the internet existed, type thing, and it was. All back with dial-up, and you can use the phone when you want it, all all that good stuff. Um, But yeah, so peer-to-peer networks and and learning how computers actually worked, and it it wasn't this case of if you had an issue, you you literally go and Google that issue. You actually had to sit and and work out exactly how to fix your issues because there wasn't manuals. um, There was AltaVista, and and, (laughs) and that was it. And even with the games, there's no there's no cheat codes. Cheat codes got spread around by talking to your friends in the playground and things like that. Um, you had to go and buy a Nintendo monthly magazine to, to go and find out what the developers put in and things like Did that. Did you ever buy the, the programming magazines that had the, 
the double page folder. And I, I've seen them. Uh, I know. I wasn't older, a huge, I'm showing uh, my age it was, now. It was mainly um, PC Magazine, I think. It was literally PC Magazine was the go-to computer guide for everything from from start to finish. Um, and uh, yeah, we my, my dad used to buy them, and he had over like 600 copies of magazines sitting around his office that I used to sit and read and uh, and look through them and things like that. So that's probably where the passion for computers started was, was right there. Um, but ended up going to school, studying computers, um, learning how to code. So my first coding language was Pascal, um, which I, I highly recommend that no one ever learns ever again. <laughs> um, it's, um, but I remember getting into game development with Pascal where um, you could ask a user a series of questions mm -hmm. um, with variables and you could you know, take a, um, what is a kitchen utensil, for example, and someone input a fork or a spoon. Um, what is your name? Who is your crush's name type of thing? And it would build this really funny story based off the variables. Um, and it was just, you know, on, I think I said it around Big Brother or something, because I think that was like season one of Big Brother was on. So I went into this whole narration of day one in the Big Brother house and using these variables that the Big person entered off this quiz and then using it in. And then, you know, that's that's where the programming came from. And I really enjoyed, you Did know. Did you share that around with people? Or? So I had a friend um, that, that I showed it with and he got really interested. And um, we ended up adding to it, and it became this full 31-day month in a Big Brother house type thing at the end of it. I mean, it was something like 2,000 lines of code we'd written at nighttime and staying up all night and, and having fun on a Pascal um, development environment type thing, which is crazy now to think back on that that's how it all started. Um, but obviously, with every coding and every um, developer, you start looking into the malicious areas of things. Um, in the school network especially. Um, security wasn't great back then in school <laughs> networks. Um, so I remember they had a big TV at the front of the entrance hall and they thought, oh, this is amazing. We can do slideshow on this TV and put it on bulletins. Of course, that was open to the entire network. It was very easy to change that slideshow. So we started seeing what we could implement on it and, and editing that slideshow every day to see what we could get away with. Eventually, we got caught and um, got put in detention banned from using computers. Um, um, so, so yeah, then then that just kind of egged me on even harder to, to see what else I can do. So it was never a choice then? It was just a straight kind of natural... Straight. I mean, there, there was um, rivets in, in the, the career growing up. So, I mean, I ended up going to college in Glasgow and studying games development um, at Stowe College. Um, learning Java and building racing games and getting right into it. What I realized is I'm really bad graphic designer and animator. Um, really good at the logic and the code of physics of making people jump with uh, sin graphs and things like that. Um, but ended up uh, back then when games development was a thing, you had to be able to do every single area of games development. You couldn't just be a game coder. Um, obviously, that whole industry has changed now. Um, but I, I hated the artistic side of it, I hated the graphics, and ended up dropping out of college. Um, I got the software modules past them, but the, the other side of it, and we ended up having to do business and legal law and all the, the fun topics that everyone hates when you go into do, you know, computers and things like that, you unfortunately have to learn it. Um, but I ended up dropping out, and I took a complete 180, 
ended up um, going to study chemistry because I was like, I want to go become a pyrotechnician. I want to go play with fireworks, right? Because that sounds like fun. Um, Flash powder and yeah. touch paper. So, yeah, because, you know, it's, it's, it's fun, right? Go, go make things that blow up, right? Um, but ended up, so I was back at college doing chemistry and realized I absolutely hate chemistry. Um, I enjoy the experiments, I enjoy making things blow up, but the actual formulas and the, the things around it, I'm not so much a, a fan of and actually writing lots of theses and papers on your scientific experiments. So I ended up dropping out of that. <laughs> um, seeing a pattern? Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a good pattern. Um, so then ended up thinking, what, what am I going to do, right? I'm, I'm sitting here, I've dropped out of college twice. I'm, I'm getting there, I've got my parents shouting at me. I'm sitting playing World of Warcraft till four in the morning type thing. Um, playing with Americans, because they're always fun to play with, but sleeping in till 4 p.m. and waking up and, and staying online till seven in the morning, being completely antisocial, sitting on my computer 24-7. So eventually I decided, why not join the RAF? Because <laughs> why not? Um, and ended up going um, and uh, right for the interviews, um, had all the medicals and everything, sat right up to the point where it's like, this is the go-no-go -no -go decision. You're about to sign your life away for the next three years and potentially go off. Meanwhile, the war in terror and the war in Iraq, 9-11, all that kind of kicked off right at that time. Um, and I realized I'm going to end up in Afghanistan in a war front. Do I really want to do this? What, what RAF specialization? So I was going in, um, going to go in as a weapon systems operator. Um, so I didn't have the qualifications to get in as pilot, but I wanted, if I was to go in, I want to go in as an officer. So the only role that I could go in as an officer was a weapon systems operator for those that don't know what an op a weapon systems operator does, is it's the guy hanging out the back of a schnick um, on the, the 50 caliber machine gun um, and making sure that, you know, if you're in the, the front line, then everyone can get on board and everyone can get off. If um, So you're at the forefront, um, which is why my decision was, let's not do this. <laughs> um, but the, the whole goal around that is after the three years, you can go into search and rescue. And I really like the idea of being on a Sea King and going and rescuing people off boats, which is, Long story, but um, that, that was the whole reason of that, that career decision at that time. So anyway, I, I ended up not going into the RAF um, and really going, I have no idea what I'm going to do. Um, I knew I had a passion for computers. I knew that I had to really focus on my hobbies because I couldn't do anything that I wasn't interested in because previous experience had told me that. So I ended up looking up the local university, which at the time was Edinburgh Napier, um, and ordering the prospectus. Um, got that delivered to my house and literally went through every single course in that prospectus. And there was a brand new course in there called um, Computer Security and Forensics. This was Bill Buchanan's course. And that was Bill Buchanan's course, yeah. Bill was a kind of friend of both of us. Yeah. Great guy in Scotland and this vibrant cyber community we've got. Let's uh, make sure we stick a link to his Twitter feed. Uh, yeah, it's... In, in it's... notes, because it's... I don't know how he does all the things that he does. No, he's... he's um, and if he's still running the website, um, it's a great oh, resource yeah. for looking up encryption functions and calculators on brute-forcing passwords. There's mathematics are insane um, and a really good resource for, for learning and things like that. Um, but, but yeah, no, he's, he's active on Twitter um, a lot and posts some really... And LinkedIn as well, he puts a lot of um, blogs and things on LinkedIn. Um, but yeah, so that course was brand new, um, and I looked at the qualifications and it required 
three A's and a B to get into it. Um, um, for, for in, and that is in higher. So in Scotland, they use hires, not um, GCSEs, but it's the equivalent to, to A levels, essentially. Probably equivalent to A level, O level A's type thing. Yeah. So, um, I left school with one C to my name, and that C is in computing. Because <laughs> um, was the graphics element. <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, that's, uh, yeah, the uh, multiple choice at the time of floppy disks and things like that. Um, but um, yeah, so ended up phoning up the university and speaking to the admissions director and saying, I don't have the qualifications, but this course is really interesting to me. I really want to go and do this course. Um, said, what do I need to do to, to get in? And I didn't realize at the time, but I was actually social engineering my way into the course, <laughs> um, which is really funny when you think about it. Um, so I said, what, what do I need to do to get into this course? I want to do it. I know I don't have the qualifications. I'm lost. I, I have nothing better to do with my time because I've dropped out of everything I've tried to do. Um, but, but how do I get into this course? And he said, there's a local college. Um, you can jump into three different diplomas and get modules. So literally a class of three different things, ask for a list. And between now and September, I think it was around January time, he said, they'll accept you into these three things and go and pick three modules um, and pass them all and get a recommendation from the college by September and we'll let you in to the basic computing course. It wasn't the screen physics, it was the basic computing course. And then if you go for that for two years, then you'll eventually find your way onto a course. And, and that was what he told me. So I phoned up the college, went to college and said, I want a list of courses that you're offering between now and um, the start date. And I want to sit on three of these modules um, before September and pass. Um, got a list of those courses and went straight back to the admissions and said, here's a list of courses, which three do you want me to do? Um, and he picked out databases, um, Microsoft Tech Support, um, I think was one of the, it was the old Microsoft manuals yep, of how yep. to, to be a help desk analyst, I right? I remember them. Um, and I can't, I can't remember the third module, but it was, it was another computer-related module. Um, and ended up going and, and sitting with 60 different students of three different HNC, HND, which are like diplomas, um, doing you know, different computer science related to the topics. Um, and I only went in two days a week. Um, I was literally on benefits at the time, going having to go to a job off, uh, you know, the the um, the, the benefit the job center every two weeks, um, and having to say I I have a plan. I'm going to university in September. I decided I am going to university, um, and ended up and they're like, well, we need to get you a job. I'm like, I can't do a job because I'm at college two days a week and I can't find a job between it. But I ended up doing these three modules and getting 100% in all three modules um, because I was passionate about it and I knew I had a plan and knew I wanted to do this. So put in all my focus onto it. Um, ended up getting the, the, the three modules, walked into university on the first day and said, I've proved that I can do this. I've passed these three modules with the top marks that I can possibly get. I want into this computer security course. I don't want to do two years to then get in. I want in now. And he's like, okay, well, you've proved that you've put the effort in, you've done the work, so we'll let you in. Um, four years later, I ended up with a degree in cybersecurity. Um, and then, yeah, I ended up working in various different industries. I've worked in a security operations center doing um, for, for a large financial organization, um, doing all the monitoring and network analysis and looking at threats of when they get breached. Um, I then got into instant response um, and looked at what happens when an attack and building a plan and forensics around all that side. Um, I then have ended up working for the government, 
in uh, Cheltenham and doing research projects, um, which I can't talk about. <laughs> but it's, it's cool to talk about that. Yeah, no, I have done a government project <laughs> in Cheltenham. Um, so yeah, and, and then ended up um, deciding I really want to focus now. My cybersecurity, I've got all this experience. I really want to focus in on the pen testing. I want to be an ethical hacker. I want to go and break into companies. Um, and ended up uh, looking for certificates on how do I go and do this? Because the job I'm working for is fine. They, they don't have penetration testers. They, they contract them out. No one's really talking to me. I don't really understand it. So I went and did research. I went and looked up. And um, I literally went on to Indeed, I think, the job site or Glassdoor or any of these job sites and said, um, typed in ethical hacker penetration tester. This is the job I want. And it's exactly the reverse engineering of what I did with my degree. This is what I want. I don't know how to get there. So let's look at what people are asking for. And in there, the, the constant thing throughout it was the CH course, so the Certified Ethical Hacker course, right? Don't recommend it, but it was on every CV at the time. Um, and I'm like, well, if everyone's requesting it, it must be a sought after certificate. So when and looked how to do the, the Certified Ethical Hacker, um, what I found was that the company I was working with was using one of these um, internal recruitment tools with all the videos. Um, I, I can't remember what it was called at the top of my head, but it's basically you could pick any course and there's videos and, and things to watch. And one of those courses was the Certified Ethical Hacker course. And like, it's a bit of luck. Really lucky. Um, so ended up uh, watching the videos and, and learning and how to do this. Um, and then went, found a Pearson View Center, went and sat the exam, passed it first time, luckily. Um, and then I now have the CEH certificate. So then I started applying for jobs. It's like, I'm, I've worked in cybersecurity. I now have my certified ethical hacker certificate. And I'm now looking for a junior position in a company to, to do this as a living. Um, and ended up getting a forensics job, this, this job in Cheltenham, which had nothing to do with penetration testing, but it was all forensics. And throughout that whole time, there was a lot of downtime um, between research projects and things like that. And I'm like, so what's the next step? Because I'm, I'm now in the space, I'm now in cybersecurity, I'm now doing research projects and building malware and, and other things that is along the lines of what I want to do, but I really want to become a penetration tester. I want to break into companies. Um, so what's the next certificate? And then I stumbled across the OSCP, so the Offensive Security Certified Professional. Um, and it was within my price range. It wasn't overly expensive. It's not like a SANS course, so it's £6,000. Very high um, quality. Very yeah, high quality. Very expensive. But to self-fund yourself is very Always hard. Always in do. an expensive city in Europe for yeah, some reason. It's, yeah. So, but if, if how I did it was I self-funded all this. I, I wasn't asking my company because I wanted to leave the company as soon as I got the certification. The plan was to move into a new company in the new role that I wanted. So, if I got a company to fund it, I'd get locked in for two years or locked in depending on their training plan. Um, and I never wanted to be locked to a company if I wasn't happy there. So I ended up start studying my OSCP, um, sat the exam, failed it. <laughs> it's a brutal exam, and if you don't have anyone to help you with, you need to spend a long time learning and researching um, with the penetration testing. The motto of the OSCP is literally try, try harder. harder. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, you need to sit and, and, and work away and look and, and research. If, if you don't have a passion for working out how things work, don't become a penetration tester. There's plenty of other areas in cybersecurity that suit you a lot better. But you need to like banging your head against the wall for three days straight if you want to be a penetration tester, I feel. Um, and you need to have the passion to work out how it all works. Um, 
So ended up failing the exam, but I said, I'm, I'm at that place now where I understand it all. I've done my research, I've done the course, I just need to pass this exam where I will book it in. And as I booked it in in two months time, I started putting my CV out there and said, I've sat the OCP exam, I know what's in it, I've got it booked again in two months, but I've done the course, I understand the fundamentals. And fell upon a startup in Birmingham, um, and, and luckily I got given the opportunity to come in as a junior penetration tester. Um, I got really lucky with that startup because they were so desperate to, to get the ball rolling and they had so much work coming through that on day two, um, I was put on site in London with a client to do an internal infrastructure test of 200 machines. Wow, on day so, two? on day two of Ooh. never doing a penetration That's test. running back to the hotel <laughs> and reading up on what you found. Exactly. <laughs> At that point, you get given two opportunities. You can run away or you can go, you know what, this is what I wanted, so let's go for it. Um, and I took the latter approach and said, I've just done my OCP, how hard can this be, right? As long as I can give the client a result of if I can find vulnerabilities, if I can do it. And I remember sitting there and spinning up Metasploit and going, okay, Metasploit, good tool. I'm sure this works to, to hack people. <laughs> um, and uh, This is Metasploit, the command line version, this right? is, not Armitage, the no, GUI no, version. No, this is the command line version, not Armitage. For people, not that don't get that, <laughs> people that don't get that joke, we... We, we, we mock and cast scorn on people that use GUIs. You yeah. want to be down where the little flashy cursor is. You, you want, you want the, the ASCII art to appear. If you've, if you've got ASCII apart, it's always the ASCII art. It's always a good sign that you're doing something right. Um, but ended up running, I, I think it was Eternal Blue had just come out or something. So this wasn't too long ago. Okay, so let's, let's take a step back. Eternal Blue is one of the leaked NSA exploits. Yeah. Um, it's... Debatable, but it's originally one of the three zero days that was in the Stuxnet virus. Yeah. And then that's 2000, I think. Yeah. And then... Shadow Brokers. Shadow Brokers. the NSA. How the NSA can't even hold on to its own <laughs> that's, exploits. Yeah, that's that's terrible. Um, and then, of course, Eternal Blue famously got weaponized and was yeah. the thing that caused WannaCry, yeah. which was, oh, what, two years ago now? Yeah, two years Seems ago. Seems like yesterday. I don't, I'm never going to forget that for But between hours. Shadow Brokers, I mean, there's, we, could, we could talk about Eternal Blue and that whole thing for hours. Um, but Probably another show. Let's do that in the new, new year. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but to sum it up, essentially, um, Microsoft knew about it. As soon as Shadow Brokers stole that exploit, Microsoft knew about it, had a patch ready to release, but didn't release it to stop people reverse engineering it. What happened was the Shadow Brokers didn't get any money and actually had to credit that they were who they say they were and they had this stuff. Um, so they released it. The day it released, within an hour, that Microsoft patch dropped. And um, it took something like around eight months, I think, before WannaCry hit, which was a, in its weaponized version. And then it took two weeks for NotPetya to come out afterwards. Yeah. And this is what we always say to people when you know, people ask me about the threat landscape and yeah. what's changing. I keep on saying, you know, the time from release to weaponization comes down and down and down and down. The only thing we can do if it's a patch that needs to be applied is be agile about sticking yeah. those patches on top of things. The key bit 
is after that release, it took two weeks for a Metasploit module to be created on Eternal Blue, or around that. So the security researchers jumped on it, and someone because released... it was so tasty. You just exactly right. No, I mean, don't get me wrong. To... There would have been a proof of concept that day. I remember seeing it on Twitter when it all all got released, and there was proof of exploits, proof of concepts all around it. But actually, a, a script that all you had to do is fire up Metasploit, say use Eternal Blue, and hit exploit. Well, um, no, but, oh, <laughs> right now you've just you've just actually given me the answer to like the most difficult question that I ask for before interviews. When using Metasploit, there are two types of hackers: those that type run and those that type exploit. Yeah. Run is fewer letters, therefore more efficient. Yeah. But exploit's cooler. Exactly. But which one are you? Like, an exploit man? I'm aren't an you? exploit man. Always, always write exploit. It's, it's just it's cooler. It's, I want to exploit Ataria. Um, a good, a good one, uh, a good interview question I always ask is what's the difference between a vulnerability, an exploit, and a payload? Yeah, and when I'm talking to, to riff on that, I quite often use the, uh, uh, the, the missile analogy, that, mm. you know, the missile um, is the exploit. Yeah. The, you can put different things on top of a missile. Yeah. It can be a nuclear bomb, it can be a biological weapon. When I'm talking to non-technical people yeah. or technical managers, and we're, last year we were talking a lot about yeah. WannaCry, I was like, look, you know, the exploit is Eternal Blue. Yeah. The payload was the ransomware. Yeah. It could have been anything else. Yeah. And um, I always use the Trojan horse, because everyone knows the Trojan horse you learn about school, Greek mythology. Whereas you know, your, your exploit is the Trojan horse that got through the gates. And the payload, and the payload, payload is the people inside. inside that then come out and do all the damage. Good analogy. Uh, so you're on site, Eternal Blue drops. So yeah, Eternal Blue drops. Um, How many boxes out of the 200 fell? Well, I crashed the entire network because I hit a hypervisor and DDoSed it. Hey. <laughs> and it fell over. <laughs> We've all done that. And, um, and yeah, that was it. I then had to go and, and boot this hypervisor back up, get everyone back online. And to be fair, that client is still one of my best friends and will ask me whenever there's an issue, he'll contact me on LinkedIn and be like, hey, I've got this issue. Um, he's got my mobile. And he's How asking, did you deal with that? That's a, I was like giving people advice, you know, running away and hiding doesn't work, but no. phoning up and saying, look, I have accidentally, or you're on site, yeah. I have done this. How, yeah. how did that conversation go? Um, well, obviously, you, you run exploit, you're waiting for it to come back, nothing happens, and then the, the first thing you see is the people around you starting to panic, and they go, something's happened, I can't do it. And if you're ever doing a pen test, what I've come to realize is if you're on site and people start to panic, nine out of 10 times, you have caused that panic. Um, because something has happened, something's tripped up, a machine's gone down, it's impacted the network. And the easiest, the, the best way is just to own up to it and be like, I think this was me, I've stopped doing everything that I was doing, I've cancelled all my scans, paused everything, let's go and deal with the problem so we can get the business back up, running, we're not impacting anything, everyone can get on with their job, and then we'll look at what the issue was, and then... Um, carry on testing and we'll avoid maybe an area or we'll reduce the, the intensity of a scan, for example. The important um, thing is honesty with the but client. The, the, yeah, um, clients appreciate honesty, uh, I feel. And if you, you know, everyone messes up in life. If you can be the bigger man and own up to, sorry, I messed up, um, I think that's a lot more appreciated than trying to blame it on something, oh, well, your infrastructure is not that good or, or it shouldn't have happened type thing. It's like, that's fine. Deal with that later. It's a recommendation that can go in the report to say, during testing, 
we crashed one of the servers. It might be worth looking into replacing the hard drive. It's upsell it, right? <laughs> or, or, or spin it, but do it at the suitable time. And if you bring down a service or shut down a business for an hour, companies are losing money, and you're not getting paid to bring that company down. You're, you're, you're getting paid to look at the security vulnerabilities. So own up to it. Go and solve the issue. Help them. Be a consultant. You're, you know, even no matter what your job title is, you're there to support the client. That's what you're getting paid to do. And a client, if you can build that relationship with that client, it will last a lifetime. And it doesn't matter where they end up or whatever. It's a personal relationship. And you can gain so much out of that on different areas. It's come in so handy knowing people in the industry. And I'm sure you have lots of people that if you have an issue that's come up at some point, you can go and talk to someone that you may have not spoken to in two years. Yep. But that relationship is always there that you can go direct and talk came to them. Came up the other week. Exactly. Got off the train at Preston. Client who also became a friend yep. through working with him phoned me when I was working independently. He asked me how I was doing. I could tell by the tone of his voice <laughs> that he was near to tears. And I just said, it's ransomware, isn't it? And he just went, yeah, I don't know what to do. What do I do? And um, even though I didn't want to, I got the Preston back to Glasgow train. I was knackered. I'd been up and down the country. I'd been doing 12 to 14 hour days. And even then I was like, okay, right, VPN me in. We'll get you some forensic people. We'll get you people to sort out. I'm actually on jobs just now with them. And I stayed up till about two o'clock in the yeah. morning. You know, you learn that you have to have a passion for this industry. Um, don't get me wrong. You, you don't have to. You can do it as a job. And you can do your nine to five. And you can only do client engagements. But where's the fun in that? Because all you're going to do is the boring stuff. You're going to be doing a build review or something that is a firewall config. Look at these firewall rules or a code review, something. You're never going to get the chance to go in, have fun with it. And if you have that passion and you have that um, hobby, uh, the essential hobby of you enjoy doing it, you can go one step further. You can go as far as you want. You could be the next person to go and create Eternal Blue. Um, you can go work for the NSA, potentially. You can go work for the... Oh, you don't want to work for the no, NSA. The problem is the car park is too agree. far away from the office. <laughs> it's miles it's, they have to it's, walk. It's, yeah, no. Um, it's, it's always fun to do some government work, but definitely do it as a contractor so you can walk away at the end of the day. Um, but you can be that, that next person. You can, and you can take it no matter where you want to go. You could be the next Edward Snowden if that's what floats your boats and you want to go do it. You go be Julian Assange and work out privacy and... and uh, WikiLeaks and all this, but you could also go and create exploits. You could become the head principal researcher at Microsoft and go and build all these patches and go and build the next security tool. You can go work for Kaspersky or an antivirus. Yeah, that's like, that's what I was going to say. You know, it's as you said. I mean, there's great advice there. One of the questions I wanted to ask you was, what kind of advice do you would you give to people? But there's bits about honesty. There's bits about having the passion. Yeah. But um, you know, even if you take the other more defensive route. And you can be a SOC analyst, yeah. and all you're looking at is SQL logs over and over and over again, or make an arc site work, or yeah. something like that. Uh, there is still a golden, similar golden goal on the defensive yeah. side, and you know you can be a you know head of exploit discovery at Norton or something like that. Yeah, and I think one of the main things, I mean, jumping back to my blue team side, we talked a lot about red teaming, which is the pen testing, but when I was a SOC analyst, one of the main things is you're dealing with a ticket system, right? Especially in the bank, nine out of ninety percent of those tickets are false positives. They don't mean anything, you just have to close them and move on and sign. I love off. about the target story, you know, the big 
company like Costco and they got in yeah. through the air conditioning system. Yeah. You're thinking, well, don't they have, didn't they have alerting on? And they did have alerting on. They turned it off yeah. because there were so many false positives. Yeah, and, and that's, you're, you're never going to get a perfect seam solution, so rule set for the, these tickets. You're never going to get the perfect monitor. I mean, maybe one day if someone's out there that's got real interest for it, maybe they'll create the perfect sock. It only takes someone with an idea to go and do it. If you can do it better than everyone else, go and do it. Um, but but coming back to the point around SOC analyst stuff is, you know, the, the main ticket we saw was um, people that had in, entered the password incorrect three times. Um, and we're like, this is really boring work. Like, all I'm doing day after day. And it's essentially sitting in a call center um, and just, but you're doing it digitally. Um, luckily, you don't have to talk to people, which is nice, unless you have to phone someone up on a rare occasion. Um, Probably bad news if you have to phone somebody <laughs> up. Yeah. Um, well, usually you're phoning your manager and saying, you want to come and see this, um, because I don't know how to deal with it. And usually someone ends up getting fired on the other end of it. Um, but what we ended up doing is we had a lot of free time, because we, we automated a lot of it, because it was just that boring. Um, so what we ended up doing is moving it into that threat intelligence side of it, mm -hmm. of actually, we have access to every single log in this company, of every system log, every access log. We can see when people log in, log out, do whatever we want. We have access to it. We can read people's emails if we want. Um, and what we ended up doing is the threat intelligence. And when we started actually doing active reconnaissance on these logs and going, I read about someone using Google Translate as a VPN in, on a security blog, let's go and have a look. And lo and behold it, people are using Google Translate to VPN past the company firewalls um, to look at sites that they shouldn't be doing. And we ended up finding a contractor based out somewhere in Singapore, I think, that had spent a lot of time on Reddit and the not suitable for work categories and ended up booking an explicit holiday to Thailand. Um, and, and all this was found out because someone had read a security blog and said, hey, let's check to see if people are doing it. There was no rule in place. It was someone's initiative to do it. So even the boring jobs, if you have that passion and you just think about what would an attacker do or what would even a, an employee do to, to mitigate, to make life easier or go look at something that the company doesn't allow them to do. And for people that are listening it's, that want to get into the business, you know, threat intelligence is one of the latest and newest yeah, it's, things. And it's what up and coming place. I always say to people is. So it's like running an SS scan, you know, standard vulnerability scanner. Threat intelligence is only as good as the ability of the people to interpret the threat intelligence. And, you know, certainly in the banking industry, you know, they're always first, aren't they? Yeah. You know, first to market on everything. You know, these APT style attacks, and they've all got numbers and stupid names like Fancy Bears, the Russian one that people might have seen in the press. You know, they use certain techniques and practices. And if your threat intelligence is finely tuned, you can actually go, oh, right, this is the way that this kind of threat behaves. Yeah. Or, you know, you can start fine-tuning your defenses and your responses yeah. based on the threat intelligence, but it's only as good as the people that interpret it. Because I've sat with big companies that we cannot name, you know, places in the high streets that everyone's yeah. been. And I've had conversations with people and they've said, well, we're going to do monitoring. Oh, brilliant, right? So I know you're what are you going to monitor? We're going to monitor this, and we bought a product for that, we bought a product for that, and I'm looking at them and I'm going, I know the size of your team. You're going to be drowning in data. Yeah. How are you going to interpret the data? And I, I just left them to it at that point. I couldn't help and them. It's, yeah, no, it's, it happens all the time. Um, 
I think where, where the industry is moving is this automation of the boring stuff. Let's automate um, these tickets that are password requests and, and stuff that no one really... Ha it happens so much that no one really cares about. Don't get me wrong, you still need to check it once in a while. Um, but let's focus on this active threat and active... If we can look up... For example, um, if you can put a system in place and you see a company gets hit by ransomware, there will be key bits before that ransomware happens. So you might see uh, a TCP scan to see if a certain port's open on a box. You might see it originating from a certain IP. Or, or a even a certain VPN provider. You know, or little clues. Little clues. But if you can map out those clues before an attack happens, then you can share that information and almost prevent the major attack. And you're building these indicators. So in instant response, you've got indicators of compromise, okay, which is telltale signs that that device has been compromised. Not sure if there's a term for it yet. Uh, maybe we're creating something new here, I don't know. But before an attack happens, there should be almost an indication that a compromise is about to happen. Um, and, and if you can map that out and learn it and share it with the community of security, because security community is a wonderful thing. You can literally message someone on Twitter and they'll message you back. Yeah, well, it's, just to, um, to interrupt you, I was last week I was at a New Statesman conference down in, down in London yeah. and had lots of banking people there and they were very honest about it. You know, they didn't even invoke Chapman House rules for the point that I'm going to make. They said, you know, we share intelligence with each other. You know, the banks may be in competition, but... Oh no, all the threat teams know each other. And they said, we can't tell you exactly what, but last week, yeah, we saw a TCP scan. We figured out the IP address it was coming from. Then our DNS was enumerated and they started looking for host names and various other more technical things and said, we, the, the bank, bank A did get hit. Yeah. But what happened was they picked up the phone and they phoned all the other banks and okay, that bank had a rough two hours while it got over the attack, but all the other banks completely mitigated it happening. Yeah, and 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 that is the the principle of threat intelligence is if we can prevent these attacks happening by looking at a breach and working out the indicators that a breach is happening, share it, then we can prevent the next nine breaches type thing. Um, and it's I mean, there's so many different areas of security, and it seems that more areas pop up daily, if not um, hourly. Um, because someone will be exactly what we just did of going down a process and going, actually, there's this whole area that's not been explored yet. Um, let's let's look into that. And before you know it, like, let's build a tool. Let's get a community. Let's see if there's anyone else around that's interested in this. And they'll go on GitHub and they'll go and start a little open source project and pull other people in. Before you know it, you've got a full vended product. And someone goes, let's market this. Let's go sell it to them. More right? cool requests um, from GitHub than you can call it. Exactly. Um, and it happens all the time. Um, and, and it all starts with an idea. It's an it's that fundamental passion for, for what you're doing is, I have an idea, instead of just saying, talking about it over a pint and forgetting about it ever happened, it'll always sit there in the back of your head, you never forget about it, go and actually go and create a proof of concept and then share it with your friends. Share it on Twitter, get feedback on it. So um, our big takeaways then are, believe in yourself. Believe in yourself. Pick a thing that you're passionate about. Yep. Push yourself. Yeah. Don't treat it as a nine to five job. Think out the box always be looking for the next thing. Yeah. And essentially, you're going to have a job for life. Exactly. Because computers are never going away. Plus, you're going to have fun as well. That's, that's the main thing, as long as you're having fun. Well, look, Gordon, thank you so much for talking to us. Of course. Um, I think you and I 
two sort of rambly Scotsmen. We could go on for hours. Yeah, we could. Um, but luckily, we got a new year. So, yeah. As always, audience, thank you for listening. Um, please feel free to send us your comments. We've had some lovely feedback from people. Um, probably be hearing from us again in the new year. So, um, until we meet again, have a secure day and have a secure Christmas. Thank you.